dead incorrect. It's, right, it's um, sunny right here. Do you want me to look it up? Uh, I can mail it to you. You can mail it to me too. Oh, did you have that other uh, thing that I sent to you? Let's see. I'm not sure what else you kind of expected it. Okay, this one. Why would you send me information that you think I don't have? Oh, I have. Uh, do you have that affidavit? A copy of affidavit? Did you mail it to the court? Yes, I did. Because uh, you forgot to notify you, put you on notice. Okay, so the whole purpose of your mailing is to put me on notice. Yes, put you on notice that uh, that there's you don't have jurisdiction. And today you're still with the argument that I don't have jurisdiction. Yes, you don't. Okay. Um, if I don't have jurisdiction and you're claiming I don't have jurisdiction and you sent me information indicating I don't have jurisdiction, then how can I dismiss this case? Because there's no uh, nobody to. Uh, uh, no standing, you guys have no standing because there's nobody injured, there's no injured party, uh, there's nobody damaged. Okay. So I dismiss this case. If you want to submit a dismissal, you can do that. If you want me to dismiss it, you have to recognize me first before I can enter that order. Well, I can, uh, dis I'll dismiss it myself then. Perfect. I'm going to hand this back to you and you can submit your case in your email. See. There's an issue, a very big issue, with people who choose to speak up and stand up for themselves. That issue is foundation. This guy in this video, the issue with him is not that what he's talking about is wrong. The whole jurisdictional matter, there's nothing wrong with it. But the foundation that he has is butched. He has a very poor foundation. That acting judge was very patient with him and pretty much gave him the solution. And she was correct. The foundation that most people lack when they're doing quote unquote jurisdictional challenge is they fail to comprehend the fact that the moment you put in any piece of paper into any venue, into any court, they consider it a pleading. And all that is sufficient to gain jurisdiction, subject matter jurisdiction, is pleading anything. The moment you put any paper in, they have subject matter jurisdiction. Secondly, is the moment your body is physically present, you have voluntarily submitted yourself to them on a personal jurisdiction unless a notice was given to, to them ahead of time in the private chambers that you're making a special appearance and that that special appearance should not be construed as rendering personal jurisdiction and the only reason why you're showing up is to challenge certain types of jurisdiction either it's personal subject matter or territorial jurisdiction what the acting judge is telling him is if you're saying I don't have jurisdiction, then why are you telling me to do this? Because clearly if I don't have jurisdiction, then I can't make any determination of fact or truth in this matter. People contradict themselves with what they do because they have a very bad foundation. They fail to comprehend that if you're telling them, where's your delegation of authority order? One, they're not obligated to answer that question to you. 
especially if you're saying they don't have jurisdiction. So you just countered yourself and negated your own concept and your own way out. Two, is delegation of authority order a lot of people going about Congress, Congress. People who go on about Congress and delegation of authority order, where the Congress is supposed to give the delegation of authority to the judicial branch, they don't even know how government works. There's three main branches of government, executive, legislative, which is Congress, and judicial, which is the venue that most people go on about putting all these documents, going in there talking all this trash, regurgitating some stuff that sounds good. When you banter with your friends, that sounds very good. When you're out there on D-Day getting things done, if you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, you make yourself look bad and you make everyone else willing to stand up and speak for themselves who might actually come right you make them look bad. You set a reasonable expectation that people should be treated like shit because you fail to do your due diligence beyond what you heard somebody say. So if you're saying that you are demanding a delegation of authority order that the Congress gave to them, one, you have to comprehend that there's a separation of power. When you ask most people out here these days what a separation of power is, they don't even know what that is. So if the Congress, if, if the judicial power of anything or any entity, whether it be a municipal, lower court, or an Article Three court, if the judicial power is solely based on the Congress, then the Congress controls the judiciary. And there's no separation of power right there. That's another flaw right there with that whole trash about delegation of authority order demanding. We have to understand and admit that at one point in the past, we've been taught wrong. And even if we were not taught wrong, we went with half of the information that was given to us by somebody who knew and we misinterpreted it. And we are running away with a half information. This has to stop. This is fuckery. This is foolery. You're saying they don't have jurisdiction yet. You're submitting yourself on a subject matter and personal jurisdiction level. And you're saying they don't have jurisdiction. You're contradicting yourself. You don't even know what a delegation of authority is. And another thing is oftentimes when people do this whole delegation of authority, they don't bring up affirmative defense and rule eight and rule 12. They don't bring up lack of subject matter or personal jurisdiction. They just use that blanket term jurisdiction. When you come in and use that blanket term jurisdiction, they already know you're clueless. Because all law is specific. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. And equity does not aid a volunteer. Believe it or not, they are using equity on you in all these court cases. Because the presumption stands that that police reported that ticket, that traffic ticket, is the only thing withstanding the capacity to state a claim. Because you have yet to deny it, which is an affirmative defense. If you don't deny it, they get to have superior claim over whatever the fuck it is you're saying. It's like you have to speak to people this way for people to actually get it. And if you've yet to entertain the charging instrument itself, the complaint on its face, if you've yet to deny it and do an affirmative defense on it, everything else you're saying is secondary. And based on rules of parliamentary procedures that they follow, they entertain one matter at a time and the first matter that they entertain is the one that's most urgent and the one that's most urgent 
is the one that's prima facie brought into the court record. And the one that's brought into the court prima facie first is charging instrument against you. So you must attack that directly. Yeah, you can do a collateral attack all you want. But if you're clueless about it, you're working to your own detriment. And if you're going to do a collateral attack, just remove it and do a counterclaim. Sue them. But you're not doing this. You're going on about you don't have jurisdiction. Yet you're physically present there. You rendered personal jurisdiction. There's a maxim of law that says the presence of the body cures the deficiency in the name. Something along those lines. Meaning the moment you physically show up, whatever error you choose saying that all caps is not me, all this, that. You've cured the error in that. And you have self-admitted that they do in fact have personal jurisdiction because you are going into their house. If you don't have an equitable relief in place like an injunction and you're putting people on proper notice and then you're trying to use that word, I'm putting you a notice that you don't have jurisdiction. That's not how you do that. And then she's even telling him, look, the fact that you're telling me to dismiss this means you're giving me jurisdiction to hear the matter. You're giving me the judicial authority to hear the matter. But you're saying I don't have jurisdiction. How can I hear this if I don't have jurisdiction? How can I dismiss it or entertain it if I don't have jurisdiction? So you have many people doing demand for delegation of authority order saying you don't have jurisdiction. So dismiss it. Going gung-ho with it. But they're not doing a constitutional challenge or an affirmative defense. You don't even have to ask for a delegation of authority order. Because a delegation of authority order... If you're saying it's based on what Congress, the legislature, is granting upon them for them to have a judicial power, then you're talking about the law because the legislature is the Congress which makes the law. So now if you're doing a, instead of you harking and barking about delegation of authority order, what you ought to do is a constitutional challenge to whatever statute that they're charging you with, whatever public law or general law that they're charging you with. And automatically that is you, in fact, challenging the subject matter in personal jurisdiction right off the bat. Because you are, in fact, dealing with the legislature that they're charging you with, a.k.a. what the Congress passed. So if you're going on about delegation of authority and you want to see the verbiage, you want to write the verbiage, provide your delegation of authority because you give me your oath of office. That oath of office, they have it available for public record. It's in the Secretary of State or archives or the record of the court. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to bring that in. I use that as a tool to hold them by the balls and say, I accept this oath of office. This is an evidence that you are bound by the law. And I am bringing this law in, which is the Constitution, bring a certified copy of it and say, you're bound by this. So dismiss it. And you have no jurisdiction to move forward beyond it. the fact that this thing being brought against me is unlawful. And because it's unlawful, no injured party. And because there's no injured party, there's nothing to argue about. So dismiss it because you're bound by the law and I expect you to enforce the Constitution and anything otherwise renders you personally liable. That is how you come. You don't come in and say you don't have jurisdiction, so dismiss it. They're going to look at you like you're an idiot because you sound like one. You don't come in saying this is a vermin of jurisdiction delegation of authority order. I'm making this claim. They're going to look at you like, do you not know separation of power exists? It's in the First Amendment. Have you read the Constitution? Do you even know what the Constitution is? You're not even bringing any law in that makes me feel like, oh, this guy got me. This guy is going to do something to me. You're not doing any of that. You're saying, affirmative jurisdiction, delegation of authority, order. Prove your jurisdiction. 
If you can't, then dismiss it. The moment you're demanding for a dismissal is the moment that you made something called a verbal judicial notice. And when you do a verbal judicial notice, I mean, listen to that. It's called a verbal judicial notice. You just gave them judicial power to make a determination. But you're saying you don't have jurisdiction. And because of that, dismiss it. You're, you're double-minded and you don't even know it. What people have to understand, comprehend, be savvy to, understand, understand, is that you have a bad and screwed up foundation and you have to fix it. So many people go on and on, sound smooth, sound smart. They don't have jurisdiction. They can't, they can't get past jurisdiction. They got to provide a delegation of authority. Within all those things you're saying, you're contradicting yourself. Because what you're talking about, you don't know what you're talking about. And they know that you don't know what you're talking about the moment you open your mouth. Your foundation is extremely important. So here's a helping hand for you to guide you step by step on how to actually do it correct. Whether you heed these following words and examples or not is up to you. So the Federal Rules of Civic Procedure. Most municipal courts that most people will find themselves in are United States courts based on the Judiciary Act. It homogenized and put everything into a pot to be the same. And Federal Rules of Civic Procedures and Federal Rules of Evidence applies generally. Rule 9. Pleading special matters. General matters are the things that are considered to be the normal mode of operation. Meaning they're bringing you into, quote unquote, their venue, their courts. And that means they're going to treat you like you are their property. And whatever it is you do, since your contentions are that, look, there's no personal subject matter jurisdiction here. In some case, territorial jurisdiction. That's considered special matters. Hence, you make special appearance or limited appearance. It gives it to you straight up. Capacity or authority to sue. Legal existence. The capacity that you're going to be coming in as. Authority for the other party to bring you under that jurisdiction. Because if you're in any type of court venue or any given circumstance. Somebody is suing you. Even if it's a traffic ticket. If it ends up in court. Somebody has sued you. So their authority to sue you and legal existence of the claim. Have they stated a claim upon which relief can be granted? Let's go to 9A. Number two, raising those issues. To raise any of those issues, a party must do so by a specific denial. You hear that? To raise jurisdictional issues, a party must do so by specific denial they're telling you the first thing you need to do if you intend to challenge jurisdiction is to deny the previous allegation because remember the maxim he who does not deny admits that which is not denied is deemed approved the presumption is against you because the superior claim is whoever came in line first is going to be attended to it's like when you're in line somewhere you're just going to jump the line and expect someone not to go, hey, what's going on? Or not expect whoever's providing service, which is the public servant, that acting judge. And in some cases, really not a public servant when you really look deep into how the funding of these goes. But that's another topic.
and to not expect that public servant to go, hey, no, whoever came here first is whoever I have to serve, is whatever I have to look at and deal with. So you have to deny those allegations, the police report, the complaint, the ticket, whatever else, so that you can have superior claim. Equity does not aid a volunteer, and they will take a jurisdiction if the presumption exists that you are either a volunteer or that you've admitted by way of not denying. It tells you right here, you want to raise jurisdictional stuff, you must do a specific denial, which must state any supporting fact that are peculiarly within the part, party's knowledge. What is this supporting fact? The Constitution, which is tied to their oath of office that you will be, that you will be using to grab them by the balls and then let's go to one it says except when required to show that the court has jurisdiction a pleading need not allege the capacity or the authority meaning the only thing that you'll be doing is to challenge your jurisdiction you don't have to tell them that hey you only have you don't have to educate them black's law dictionary this means that you have jurisdiction over this no it gets straight to the point Keep it short and simple. You don't have to do all those extra stuff. Get straight to the point. And the only way you can get straight to the point, if your supposition is that they don't have personal subject matter jurisdiction, is by first denying the allegations. That is extremely, extremely important. So now we go to rule eight. Rule eight, we're gonna look at B3. Defenses, all these go hand in hand. They scatter them around to confuse you. But here's a puzzle piece being put together for you. All you have to do now is put it to use. I'm telling you and I'm showing you. And a lot of people have this thing where they buy they say don't use their rules. It puts you in their jurisdiction. No, it doesn't. This is telling you how to not be in their jurisdiction. This is giving you the game on how things go in there. This is the rule books and it's like playing any specific sports you can't use the same rule of rugby and table tennis you can't it doesn't work you can know the general rule that okay there's one opposition there's an opposition and I have to have a goal and you know that your goal is to get it dismissed and to say there's no jurisdiction but that's the limitation that everybody knows everybody doesn't know the foundational rule to it and here it is so don't get lost in the sauce of somebody telling you don't use their rules, don't use their rules. And if you know anything about parliamentary procedures, you know that these are ancient principles you can find in the Bible and all of the religious books. Just because that they've adopted it doesn't mean it doesn't apply to you. Don't abandon that which is rightfully yours. Don't be foolish. So rule 8b, defenses. Remember, he who they bring you as a defendant. So this is automatically telling you, look, this is your solution. Here, are you, If you're defended, here are your defenses. Why then would you look away from this? Admission and denial. Remember, we just spoke about denying allegation 9, rule 9. It says in general, and responding to a pleading, which is their complaint and whatever allegation that they're bringing you into, the party must state in short and plain terms its defenses to each claim asserted against it and admit or deny the allegation asserted against it by opposing party. Two, denials responded to the substance. A denial must fairly respond to the substance of the allegation. General or specific denial, which Rule 9 talks about, 
a party that intends in good faith to deny all the allegation of a pleading including the jurisdictional ground including the jurisdictional grounds here it is for all you people who love love talking about jurisdiction here it is. it's right here they're giving it to you this is how you challenge jurisdiction a party that intends in good faith to deny all the allegations of a pleading including jurisdictional ground may do so by a general denial party that does not intend to deny all the allegations must either specifically deny designated allegations or generally deny all except those specifically admitted have you ever watched the news and you know they say oh this this guy did this atrocious stuff and he did this and did that and at the end they said oh but he has denied all allegations they're telling you that your affirmative defense right there and how do you deny it simple general denial is a, a very simple one one literally one sentence one sentence an affidavit with one sentence that says affiant so-and-so hereby is denied complaint number so-and-so and police report blah 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 and charging instruments blah 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 to the best of his knowledge and belief and hereby states that whatever it is you want to say but just deny it to the best of your knowledge and belief and that it's contrary to the constitution and that you're challenging it based on jurisdictional issues and then you make reference to your notice of constitutional challenge and you make reference to the judicial notice of the certified copy of the constitution or your affidavit of truth it's really that simple if you want to go in details you can deny a part to the allegation you can pick and choose certain parts they're saying, hey, you you had a firearm on you. You can say, no, I didn't. You can go into the details if you want. If you want. You can say, well, I didn't know about it. And they tell you, effect of failing to deny. Remember the maxim. If you don't deny, it is admitted. And guess what? In rules of evidence, there's, called, there's something called an admission of evidence. And one of the ways evidence is admitted is if you don't deny it. And everyone is ever so familiar with this phrase, silence is acquiescence. The same people who go on about all these things tell you silence is acquiescence. Yet, they tell you nothing about denying the allegations. So you keep quiet about the allegations and you're running your mouth about jurisdiction. Do you not know that first denying the allegations is what, is what opens up the path to challenging jurisdiction? Stop and think about that. It's common sense. The effect of failing to deny an allegation other than one relating to the amount of damages, meaning when someone wants to be compensated, is admitted. So basically, an allegation is admitted if a responsive pleading is required and the allegation is not denied. If a responsive pleading is not required, an allegation is considered denied or avoided. And guess what? According to due process, you always have the opportunity to come in and speak up. So the presumption is that you have the ability to respond, meaning you can do it. And if there's no undue burden or reasonable expectation that you cannot respond at all, then it is considered denied. But most of the time, the presumption is that you can and you do have the ability to deal with the case. And guess what? If you don't do it, the allegation is admitted. Part of your affirmative defense 
can be, oh, you are under duress, an estoppel, which is the constitutional challenge, failure for consideration if it's something dealing with a contract, fraud, illegality, latches, a contract, license, payment, release, ratio to carter, case laws, statute of fraud, statute of limitations, waiver of right, court and satisfaction, arbitration and award, private contracts, all these things, they tell you, they give the jewels to you. So if you hear somebody saying don't use their rules, whoever tells you that is leading you astray. Be careful. They're lying to you. Now let's go to rule 12 because it's all interrelated. Rule 12, defenses and objections. When and how presented. Motion for judgment and blah, blah, blah. Okay, we're not looking at that. Rule 12B is what we're looking at. Remember when they throw 12B6 to you? At you and say you have a state of claim upon which relief can be granted? Well, you can do the same thing to them. And 12B is directly linked to Rule 8 and Rule 9. But anyway, how to prevent present defense? Every defense to a claim for relief in any pleading must be asserted. Meaning, if you have any reason to say, hey, you don't have any jurisdiction, you must assert it. And it's in Rule 12b-6, Rule 8, and Rule 9. It's really scattered everywhere. But the main thing that doesn't require you to understand too much about legalese or a bunch of other stuff are the stuff that's right in its face. It's Rule 12, Rule 9, Rule 8. Rule 44, Rule 24, and Rule 5.1. Every defense to a claim for relief in any pleading must be asserted in the response of pleading, meaning your constitutional challenge, certified copy, your oath of office, your affidavit of truth, your affidavit of denial. If one is required, meaning if you have the opportunity to do so. But a party may assert the following defense by motion. Motion is how you move any venue to do anything. One, lack of subject matter jurisdiction. Ding, ding, ding. See that? All of you want to talk about jurisdiction. There it is right here. Rule 12B. I mean, if, if they always throw Rule 12B6 at you all the time and it always works, does, not, does that not sign as a signal for you to just... You know, let me look into this rule 12 that they're always using. Lack of subject matter jurisdiction. That's part of your affirmative defense. You just say you don't have jurisdiction, you don't have jurisdiction. All law specific. They're just looking at you like, okay, so you don't know what to do. Cool, we're going we're gonna to railroad you, all right? Then we're going to train our employees to railroad you if you, if, if you keep saying that. And we're going to put you on content because you have no idea what you're talking about. Right here, subject matter jurisdiction. This is part of your affirmative defense, lack of personal jurisdiction, improper venue, a sufficient process. They didn't serve you any summons. And if they say they did, they didn't do it properly within a given amount of time. Where's the warrant? Was it signed properly? Was there a reasonable cause? Was there a probable cause? Is there any support and affidavit? A sufficient server process, the most popular one, failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted. And if any of these exist at any given moment, this applies. See, Rule 12b-6 is very similar to what the 9th and 10th Amendment of the United States Constitution is. 
where it says, uh, and I paraphrase, all powers that does not belong to the United States is reserved to the people. Meaning if there's anything else that's not written down within those constitution that came up within any given instant, you can invoke that. Even if it's not reaffirmed in that law. And that is supported by Amendment 9 and 10. Or if any of those other Bill of Rights applies, 9 and 10 encompasses them. Well, same applies with this, is if any of these exist, or if even if it's not written down here, you can still bring it up. Failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted. And then last, failure to join a party under Rule 19. You want to bring up the whole straw man, all cap stuff? Just make sure you have, you know, the support and evidence that since it's all cap, it's not you. Make sure you bring that in. Make sure you bring that in. Don't speculate. Don't don't just run your mouth because you hear somebody say it. Bring the evidence in and invoke 12B7 so that you join party. That's that. And then there is, I think it's H. 12H. Bam. Lack of subject matter jurisdiction. If the court determines at any time that it lacks subject matter jurisdiction, the court must dismiss the action. Right there. And how is it determined? Very, very simple. The Constitution. Very simple. Moving on. Rule 44. Proven an official record. You got their oath of office, right? Remember, their oath of office is an official record. It's how you admit it into evidence. Meaning it's a proof that they are obligated to that constitution, which is the foundation that you are using to say dismiss this. To say you don't have subject matter and personal jurisdiction. It goes on to say each of the following evidence evidences an official record. Then automatically it is a proof and nobody can say otherwise. It's evidence. Or an entity in it that is otherwise admissible and is kept within the United States. Any state member. A state could be any body politic like your county your town your city or the state of whatever and then it goes on to say district commonwealth or any territory subject to the administrative or judicial jurisdiction of the united states the administrative part is talking about is the administrative procedures act and that's what they all go by first thing that's admissible as evidence automatically an official publication of the record their oath of office that's in the Secretary of State. A copy attested by the officer with legal custody of the record. A certified copy. Whenever you get a certified copy, you always get it at the front. They always say, I hereby certify that there's an original copy of so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. It's admissible automatically. Then it goes on to say, by any public officer with a seal of office and with official duties in the district or political subdivision where the record is kept. Right there. Let me show you an example of what an oath of office looks like at Illinois and on the federal level. So, on a state level, 
this is what the oath of office looks like. This is a, an acting judge of a municipal court, which is where 90% of the people will find themselves at. And yes, by the way, you can make, you C-A-N, you can in fact make a municipal court a court of record based on how you come. But that's another subject matter. But here's an oath of office. See this seal right here? Right here? Seal of the state of Illinois? Literally, a seal. That's it right there. And it shows where it was filed in the index department in the office of the Secretary of State. And it says proven an official record, an official publication of the record, or a copy attested to and written of the officer. That's it right here. Got their signature and everything. On a federal level, this is what it looks like. Have their appointment affidavit. And within that, there's a subsection called an oath of office. Right there. So, these are the things that you need to put into the record to really, really begin to really see things move. Watch that move fast when you do things like this. All that success story you hear people talking about, these are the things that they're doing behind closed doors that they're not showing you, that they're not telling you. This is it right here. So don't let anyone fool you with some hype train of do a delegation of authority and all that. You got to bring in evidence. You got to bring in fact. If you're not bringing any of that and you're just out there talking shit, you're just making yourself a victim. Stop doing that. Get to it. Enforce the law. Now, once all that basics, then right off the bat, that is what you have to do automatically. Whether you're coming through your trusts, whether you come in through other entities or in other manners, whatever that, whatever you're doing, those right there are the basics. Now, here's how you really drive all of that home. Besides a move to dismiss. Rule 5.1, constitutional challenge. There are many people that have already spoken about this, but apparently the memo is not out there yet. Or else videos like that that we just showed would not have existed. It says, notice to a party, a party that files a pleading written motion or other papers, in anything that you're dealing with, aka your affirmative jurisdiction, delegation of authority, which we already explained the flaws of that. And if you're going to bring that in, at least do it right. Which other or other papers drawing into question the constitutionality of a federal or state statute. Whatever they're charging you with, nine out of ten times will be a state statute or a federal statute. They're drawing into question how constitutional it is. If it's constitutional, then they have subject matter or personal jurisdiction or both. If it's not constitutional, then they don't have personal subject matter jurisdiction. The Constitution is the most basic foundation to determine jurisdiction, whatever type of jurisdiction it is. And the way that it is linked to everything is their oath of office. That is what gives them the power to do anything. So when you ask them for a delegation of authority from Congress, they know you don't know anything. 
they know you're clueless. It says, in order for you to challenge the constitutionality of anything, aka the subject matter or personal jurisdiction, which we spoke about, what you have to do is you have to file a notice of constitutional question, stating the question and identifying the papers that raises it. The stuff we've spoken about. A federal statute. If it's a federal statute, basically what this says is if it's a federal statute, you send it to the Attorney General of the United States. If it's a state statute, you send it to the Attorney General of your state. A federal statute is questioned, then the parties do not include the United States, one of its agency or one of its officers or employees or the, in an official capacity, or a state statute is questioned, and the parties do not include the state, one of its agency, or one of the officers or employees in an official capacity. Serve the notice, so this is what you have to do. You serve the notice and papers on the Attorney General of the United States if a federal statute is questioned, or on the State Attorney General if a state statute is questioned either by certified or registered mail or by sending it to an electronic well i i, I really wouldn't do this last part because if you're tech savvy you know there are infinite ways to really sabotage this so just stick to the st stick to the physical stuff Nothing wrong with electronic stuff because this is the age of technology, but use this as much as you can when you can. Now, certification by the court, meaning this is how it is determined whether it's constitutional or not. The court must under 28 U.S.C. 2403 certify to the appropriate attorney general that a statute has been questioned. Meaning you're going to send it to them, but they also have, there's an onus on their end. To say, oh crap, okay, this is an estoppel. By the way, this is an estoppel, meaning it stops everything they're doing. Meaning they can't, when they say, oh, don't let them move forward past jurisdiction, this is it. This is an estoppel. They can't move forward unless they certify the constitutionality of it. So once you send it to the attorney general, the appropriate part, uh, attorney general, state or federal level, they do the same thing. Intervention, final decision of the merits. Unless the court sets a letter time the attorney general may intervene within 60 days this is a time period they have to respond to make the determination 60 days and this 60 days is not necessarily two months remember it's 60 business days calendar days and then holidays so regularly monday to friday that's five days and then if there are any holidays in between so it's really not always going to be two months just put it just keep that in mind after the, so they have 60 days after the notice is filed or after the court certifies the challenge, whichever is earlier, which they would never do, by the way, just so you keep that in mind. Because now they're going into political questions, which is because the legislature is, is what your statute, the statute is what the legislature passed, the Congress, the General Assembly. And if the court is saying that they're, they're determining the constitutionality, then they cannot give themselves that judicial authority and power. There has to be neutrality, aka separation of powers. You see how all this is adding up? Before the time to intervene expires, 60 days, the court may reject the constitutional challenge, but the court may reject the constitutional challenge, but may not enter a final judgment holding the statute unconstitutional. So they can talk all the trash they want against what you got going on. They still cannot enter a final judgment saying uh, this is constitutional or not.
because they don't have the power to do so. And they're not going to trespass this point. And if they are doing it, that means they're comfortable that they can screw you over, meaning you're not doing something right. No four feature. A party's failure to file and serve the notice or the court's failure to certify does not forfeit a constitutional claim or defense that is otherwise timely asserted. Meaning if you don't bring up a constitutional claim, jurisdictional challenge, which is the same thing, or say they don't have subject matter personal territory jurisdiction, it doesn't stop you from being able to bring it up in the future. Now, the time, timely assertion of that substantive right to challenge jurisdiction, well, many people who talk about res judicata and affirmative jurisdiction already know jurisdiction can be challenged at any time. That's one of the most popular stuff everyone is well aware of. So, they can't put a time limit on it. And that's the reason why they did not put a time limit on when you can enforce it. And the timely assertion of it can be based on your knowledge when you discovered it called discovery doctrine. Whenever you discovered something is the earliest point in which you can invoke the right. So there it is right there. That's how you get it done. Is there really more to the subtleties of how you structure the paperwork? Yep, there is. If you need help with it, you can contact subtle substance at protonmail.com. But all in all, if you really put your mind to it, you got it. You can do it. Just read it. It's right there. Read it. It's there for a reason. And that intervention that it spoke of in Rule 5.1 is in Rule 24. So just read it. Just And there's always an equivalence of this in on a state level. Always. Take care and, and best of luck.